Come out, come out wherever you are, and welcome to another sunny day here at ATG, where we are coming out of hiding after a brief hiatus, in high snuff, for another season of meaningful chit-chat and important disputation about our favorite self-hating, best-selling authoress, Georgette Hayer-Hayer-Hayer. And speaking of coming out, a brief shout-out before we begin in earnest to Daniel Lavery and his entertaining queer critique of Georgette in a recent article entitled, Wondering Whether He Was to Mount the Box or Enter with His Master, Forced Mask Fantasies in Georgette, Higher, Higher, Higher. Um, So check that out if you're interested. Uh, We will include the link to the Chatner where you can find this article. Uh, Clever and provocative in all the best ways critique on our website and landing page, which is going to be manned by our very own Lady Sharon, eventually, um, and where we will show But in the meantime, back to business. I am, as always, your congenial and only slightly twisted hostess, Marsha, now a.k.a. known as Lady Lee. And today I am joined by some of my very favorite fellow interrogators of the First Water, her ladyships, Laura, Sandy, and Sharon, to whom I am connected by blood, although they often try to deny it. So with all due respect to our revered and honored object of interest, G.H. herself, today we decided to wander a bit towards a discussion of what we are calling Georgette-adjacent authors. That is to say, authors who for various reasons, occupy a place in our hearts and in our readerly eyes, somewhat close to Georgette. So um, let's get this Phaeton rolling. Ladies, which authors, in your expert opinions, are indeed Georgette-adjacent and why? Lady Sharon, do you want to get us rolling? I believe that uh, there are two that I regard as being most particularly Georgette adjacent in that they create a fully inhabited, fully imagined world that you can return to again and again, always with a wonderful feeling of anticipation that you can learn the rules of, that you can, you can, feel welcomed into and thoroughly entertained by. And those authors to me are P.G. Woodhouse and J.K. Rowling. Both of them are entirely different in, in genre from each other and from Georgette, but their use of language, their particularness of of exactly what vocabulary word, what nuance best fits what they're trying to convey, and this incredible ability to to flesh out characters um, and and their environments, make their environments a a true character in their stories. I think makes them Georgette adjacent. Here, here. I think that's an interesting point. What about you, other ladies? What, what think you? I completely agree on uh, P.G. Woodhouse. I read was an admirer of Georgette's fiction. They are 
roughly contemporaneous, um, although he's a bit earlier. Uh, but I do think he was a, a fan. It's pretty clear that uh, Jane Austen is a head of oh, yes. <clears throat> um, you know, a, a predecessor to Georgette's world. And of course, utterly different in that uh, hers are stories of often rather tragic and limited circumstances for for persons of that of that ilk um but it's it seems to me you know there's there's a pretty clear linkage there how about you sand i yeah i i mean i was definitely going to make the case for pg woodhouse um I, I i was just looking up and i saw that joy in the morning which i think is one of pg's best and what? the grand sophie which i think is one of georgette's best were published within a few years of each other um and uh, and I, I, you know, just even looking at those two books side by side, you see the same um, uh, perfect, perfectly set up plot of 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 uh, a, a troubled situation right from the beginning, bad to worse, and wonderful resolution at the end, and fabulous side character characters, um, uh, funny names, and um, uh, and the same vicarious pleasure in um in uh, you know being a, a plebeian reader imagining yourself in the shoes of people with with uh fabulous wealth you know that are have lives of leisure um and at the same time poking fun of how silly and ridiculous they are um so sort of appealing to the to the uh, the the plebes um, at the same, at the same time. Um, and of course I also was going to make the same argument for, I, I mean, you know, frankly, I think of Georgette as being, as being Jane Austen fanlit in, um, in the best, uh, in the best sense. I mean, sometimes people, people say bad things about fanlit, but frankly, that's the, where we've got, had some great writers, like, you know, one of my favorites, uh, my current favorites is, um, Naomi Novik who started writing, um, who started writing um, the Patrick O'Brien fan fanlet, and then took off from there, and is a wonderful writer in her own her own right. Um, uh, I guess for me, I also just this, and this is completely personal. I started reading and devouring Georgettes at the same age that I started reading and devouring, you know, my beloved Mary Stuart books, which were written also mid twentieth century British heroines um with uh, of course mary stewart her uh and and they were romances hers were romantic suspense as to as opposed to romantic comedies and um and she she was more a person who who had a tremendous gift for description which i know laura you've said of kathleen norris who's another you know another mid-century uh romance writer who was sort of more of a melodrama writer and um, her her gift for description was really more about um, a sense of place, um, and the and the place was a character in in the book. And in some ways, I think the same is true of Georgette. Um, she's she's absolutely, of course, firmly in England all the time, um, and um, and the and the places you know the the 
the descriptions of the of the the inns on the road on the way to so and so and the the particular neighborhoods of London where you are and the the park versus the drawing room versus the back alley if there's a, a scene that takes place there and um, so I feel like in some ways if you were going to say uh, there was any relation in terms of the the my appreciation as a teenager for good writing, um, it had to do if I, if I made any connection besides romance between those two, uh, authors, it would be, it would be their, their, uh, ability to have, have a sense of place, be a character in the story. I think that's fair. Um, Lady Sharon and I were talking last night about this and she made the same point about Nora Roberts who is a romance writer um, that, you know, at the end of the day, nobody lives up to Georgette. None of these, I mean, with, with the exception of Jane Austen. Um, but in my book, no one quite lives up to what Georgette accomplishes. However, Sharon made that same point about how Nora Roberts also makes the place a character because she's so adept at descriptions of place and making it part of the story and making it part of the excitement. I would throw in here... Because I like this topic because it really gives us leeway to talk about other authors in relationship. And when we talk about Jane Austen, we're speaking of someone who clearly influenced uh, Georgette. And I would say, because Georgette was probably a very educated person, um, she was fluent in her Dickens. Um, we had a little disagreement about this last night, but I I feel that Dickens's incredible adroitness with character and with creating characters that you can't wait until they walk into the room and you can't wait to hear what they say, right? Just because of the way they talk. And, uh, you know, think of, all you have to do is think about Mrs. Malaprop, right? Who had a whole term Malapropism um, inspired by her, the vividness of her character. I feel like Georgette really, uh, in a way, learned this um, the importance of this kind of uh, vividness of characterization because there's so many characters in Georgette that you can't wait to hear what they have to say. I'm thinking of um, Slytherin uh, in or not Slytherin. No. That's that's J.K. Rowling. So, what's his name? The Sylvester? No. no, no, yes, Liversedge. 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 Yeah, and the Foundling, and I mean all the bad guys really. Um, I'm in the middle of The Reluctant Widow and... Lady um, Marsh and I were talking about uh, Sir Francis. Sir Francis. And <laughs> um, and how vivid of a uh, of a sophisticated evil he has. Um, mm -hmm. And he doesn't have that many, that many scenes, if you will, in the book, but he just leaps off the page. And it's an unusual book in that the hero, Ned Carleon, does not leap off the page. No, he's kind but, of not memorable. Um, in fact, The Reluctant Widow would, is not in my book one of the better ones. But um, but nonetheless, uh, with with that character, with, with um, Eustace, the horrible evil Eustace, who is only present for one scene at the beginning of the book when he lies dying, but his vitriol and his sheer evil... Mm -hmm. It just leaps off the page, and it, it's a riveting scene. So I, I would just say, I would just throw Dickens into this, not as someone to compare Georgette to in terms of, necessarily in terms of their craft, but just as an influence. I, I believe that she read and enjoyed Dickens, just reading her books. I think that 
that was probably the case. I, I also would think, I think it's a great um, comparison. I, I, I totally back you up on this. Although I will say Mrs. Malaprop is a, is a character from a play by Sheridan. But at any rate, I oh, will say. Oh, you're right. <laughs> but that's okay. No, I was I would say I would say Mr. Micawber, for example, from Dickens is a, is a perfect. Lady, wig Lady or... Marcia, of all people, should have known that distinction. For Absolutely. reasons <clears throat> But I will say, like, and, and I would say, I would compare Liver Sedge. Okay, we're back because we had a little blip, but we're back and we're enjoying it. This is Lady Sandy speaking. And of course, I just have to say that um, that was one of the pleasures of my life, being able to um, correct my older sister, who happens to be a professor of theater in places like this rival. <laughs> that is so nice of you to not only point out my idiocy, but find a new, fresh way to humiliate me. Thank you so much. May I say happy birthday, ladies and <laughs> That is a birthday gift to me. It was. Um, I was testing you. Well, I will. I think. I think what the illustrious Lady Marcia meant to say was that she was mm-hmm. to compare Liversedge to Mister Micawber, who I think is a great person to compare in Dickens. Um, to a, a sort of an a utterly charming scoundrel in a very similar vein, um, and I think I think I, I totally support her in in um, putting Georgette right right adjacent to uh, Mr. Dickens, and I think I think both of them would have a great deal of pleasure uh, sitting next to each other at a heavenly dinner party. So. Now I'll give it over to uh, lovely Lady Laura, and I may I may exit a little bit early for birthday fun that I'm heading towards. But uh, Lady Laura, you All go right. on next. Thank week. you for joining us, Lady Sandy. Yes, happy, birthday. Yeah, happy birthday! Happy birthday! Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to point out, kind of, this takes us in the direction of the the idea of social agency or or some sort of of political thinking, because of course, Dickens is the greatest reformer of the 19th century in a lot of ways. I mean, no doubt, right? He achieved huge things through his fiction and and Precisely. his advocacy. Yeah. And Kathleen Norris over here, she dedicates her, her somewhat early collection of her best work, uh, to Dickens explicitly writes a three act play, which is kind of an awkward attempt to deal with his seemingly uh, less perfect personal life. And in short is, is a real worshiper at the Dickens throne connects. She, she is a lifelong pacifist who then seems to stumble into an America first group with Lindbergh as a result of pacifism and ends up appearing on somewhere in a, on a stage with him doing an, a, what looks a lot like a Nazi salute. <laughs> so, oh my God. Although he's completely in the strain of, um, of the Catholic worker and so on. And I, I think that I, I was thinking about Georgette's characters who do good works. Um, you have, Waldo Hawkridge, and who sets up orphan asylums for which which 
somewhat yeah. awkwardly enters her novel. What which one? What is it called, Sharon? The I think it's the Corinthian. They all no, have. They all the, have a nonpareil. He's the nonpareil. It's the nonpareil. Yeah. Is that right? Is I don't it? think that's right. Well, he appears and none such. And his, nonsuch. his collection of brats, as his relatives yes. term them, turns into a big plot point. That's that's really quite unbelievable. It 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 really doesn't flow as her as her uh, you know her her little issues that lead to to failed engagements usually come off so perfectly that one really does not and i think that it's that hint of of reality in a certain way that throws her off um it's it's not yes. mm-hmm. um it, it's introduced in a somewhat odd way norris on the other hand is is completely on the side and on the storytelling end of the the working girl who's trying to work herself up in the world. And uh, Lady Lord, give us a little background on Kathleen Norris. In yes, case Kathleen our listeners is, is not the second of six children to Irish immigrants, grows up in rural Mill Valley and takes has to take responsibility for the rest of the family when her parents simultaneously die in 1899 and she at 18 becomes the the work engine for her family and starts uh starts working as a reporter and a writer um she publishes anywhere she can and ends up being uh one of if not the top selling writer for nearly 50 years. I mean, this is why, where I find the complete ignorance of her in terms of academia to be so striking because we're talking about someone who had a huge, huge influence just by dint of those publishing numbers. We know that. And, and she herself struggles with, with accommodation of, uh, of modernity and her 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 somewhat socialist leanings, you know, she's got a. There are her last work, which is very oddly uneven, and reminds me of the the last work of uh, my beloved Iris Murdoch, who's another artist whose work I think really deserves something beyond the complete obscurity that she seems to be entering into here. Um, she writes, Kathleen Morris writes over 50 novels and is in the last novel she writes, which I'm now looking for the title. It's a very, very odd amalgam of a, of a, 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 an Edenic world wherein everyone is fed by the government. It's a, it's a beneficent organ socialist, absolutely organization of, of, care and feeding, which then through the death of the heroine who, who must, it's called Through a Glass Darkly from 1957. And those who die on earth arrive in Fox Crossing, a very thinly veiled Northern California. Uh, and the protagonist longs to to help the others trapped in our world. And from there, it kind of becomes 
her her typical story of the very poverty stricken child coming up in the world and and a girl who who makes her way into into becoming a, a, a this time not a a rich aristocrat who will do it all better but she becomes a, a nurse and a, a savior of of persons so she's clearly struggling with a lot of these issues throughout all of these books and never comes to a you know a a conclusion evidently in midstream her publishers asked her to suppress the specifically catholic and irish <laughs> parts of her work and to some extent she does uh, but they bleed through i mean that was her that was her territory she, that was her world yes laura, and, and her, lady laura let me ask you a question yes um we only have a few more minutes here how precisely this is fascinating and i'd like to hear you bring her into conversation with georgette like how precisely do you see her aside from this fascinating point you make is here we have yet another incredibly successful female author that is Almost completely forgotten. Totally obscure at this time. Really. So um, aside from that, how do you find her Georgette adjacent? I think that her her examination, her 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 look at the female character and protagonist is clearly the, at base what makes she she has a fan base like Georgette. These are women's fiction. I think it's striking that there is not such a thing as men's fiction. Uh, (laughs) That's That's a great point. uh, There's not a male hero that, or, you know, Horatio Alger, maybe, but in truth, we simply accept the world is full of men's fiction and don't right the default the differences. The women's fiction is the is distinct. is the distaff side and is is therefore quite obviously subject to uh, obscurity. So I think, but I I feel that although Georgette would have said, "Make it easy on yourself, just let these girls have fun," and maybe. Mm-hmm be amusing. Uh, Kathleen is devoid of laughs. There is, you know, there are no, nothing is, is amusing. Uh, the, this is a serious struggle for towards a better life. And um, so quite different in that way, but her, her ability to create place is very much in line with Georgette. It's a yeah. it's a stunning yeah. ability, and it's uh, yeah. her her ability to capture the details and beauty of a place. And in fact, Dick links them both to Dickens, who, as you know, was made absolutely inhabitable universes for his characters, yeah. uh, which are mm-hmm. so linked to their status and. Georgette was playing in a world where with the occasional and always humorous intervention of the liver sidges or the uh, gold hanger, the, the, uh, the money lender who briefly seems to menace Sophie until she pulls out her own pistol in the grand Sophie. Uh, that these are who, who I would, I would, 
I would add, arrived in our conversation of anti-Semitism in Georgia. Yes, but, exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> these characters are, they're, they're buffoons too, and humorous ones always. Yeah. These, are, these are no Bill Sykes by any means. Uh, no, you're right. And there's not a lot of laughs in Nor- Kathleen Norris. No, and, and not, no that's we're not looking for laughs there. Right. Yes, although Dickens, I would able say, to. was able to ride that divide rather brilliantly. And I, I think he was. Yes, he was able to incorporate both, you know, really evil figures like a Bill Sykes and combine them with uh, the moderately, you know, uh, evil like uh, like Fagin, which I think bears it, that is an interesting aspect in an anti-Semitism discussion. Yes. Because, you know. Well, you know, Lady Laura, we only have two minutes left, but I want to give you the final word. Tell those among our listeners who may not have encountered Kathleen Norris, why being fans of Georgette Hay or higher hair, they should pick up a Kathleen Norris and give it a whirl. Yes. I think that it's worth reading a book like little ships, one of her most assured mid period books because of the linkage of that. And, and simply the curiosity about the vision of women that was so widely read by them and Mm -hmm incorporate it, the struggles are real with, with the, she's um, her, her idealization of women as mothers and yet her incorporation of working mothers in a much earlier time. Uh, and, and it begs comparison. I think she isn't quite as lively as Georgette, but in, in terms of looking at visions for women that they were reading in the same period, very worth a try. Fabulous. And you heard it from Lady Laura, who is a, an absolute expert in both authoresses. So I thank you. This brings us to the conclusion of yet another stunning uh, conversation. Thank you so much. Revelatory. And uh, we look forward to seeing and hearing you next time here on All Things Georgette. Please join us again. But goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.